Both knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 379. Jason Lingren is with me and James from Grounded Extracts. We're going to be talking a bit about addiction, uh, which seems to be rampant in our world. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure I remember a time in my lifetime, maybe when I was very young, when addiction wasn't everywhere, maybe more so because people stayed in their homes for way too long a short while ago. But anyhow, we're going to talk about we're not going to give medical advice. What we're going to do is talk about how others have dealt with addiction using basically, I guess, what we could call natural substances provided by nature. And if that's not correct, then we will correct it during the course of the episode. But again, this is not medical advice. Welcome, Jason. And good morning. Anything you want to add in before we jump in? Right. Definitely not medical advice. Some of this information you may have heard before. Some of it you may not have. Hopefully, we'll give you some things to think about, especially if you need help. But indeed, no one here is giving you medical advice. No, as a matter of fact, it was a short while ago. I'm going to guess two or three years that people had caught on that many were trying Kratom to break opiate addictions. And for a while there, it looked like there was going to be a real push to make it illegal. Uh, I'm not sure where that stands now, but uh, I learned quite a bit during that because I paid attention. Opiate addiction is just off the charts, or it used to be. I think what's going on now is they handed it out like candy for a couple decades, and now it's like they're slamming the brakes on, which causes its own set of problems because people who are dependent on these things can't function without them. Anyhow, let's jump in. Welcome, James. Hi, thank you guys so much. It's such a pleasure to be here with you guys. Why don't we start right out of the gate by giving uh, contact information if you want to provide it and your website. And by the way, this is our one. If you provide an email address open to the public, you'll probably wish you hadn't. Uh, You will be overwhelmed or you can be overwhelmed. If you don't mind that, there's the fair warning. If you choose to give email contact an hour or two, it's a bit more manageable but it depends. Some of these episodes hit a chord and the response is massive. So what would you like to do here? So you can find us at groundedextracts.com and you can reach out to us through the website and it'll send us a message right there on the landing page. You can um, send a note or question right to us and um, we'll send you an email back. All right. So right out of the gate, I'm just going to give a list up front because I'm guessing that people who may have an addiction issue are listening and thinking, well, they cover what I'm addicted to. So I'm just going to give a quick rundown. Adderall, Ritalin, Vivance, other amphetamines, or methamphetamine. What's called short-acting opiates, oxycontin, hydrocodone, oxycodone, Percocet, Vicodin, morphine, Opana, Dilaudid, and heroin. Uh, The long-acting opiates, I'm not sure I can pronounce this, beer pro- Norphine. Buprenorphine. Yep. Okay. And then there's Zubsoli. Uh, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Zubsolv, um, Suboxone, and Subutex. All right. And that includes methadone, which is the one thing they give a lot of people to try to get off the drugs in the first place. So it's like almost like swapping addictions. All right. The next one I have is the benzodiazepines, Valium, Xanax, Clonopin, and Ativan. Then there's the psych drugs or SSRs, beta blockers. That would be Floxetine, Prozac, Paxil, Abilify, and drugs of that class. And lastly, we'll talk a little bit about alcohol and tobacco addiction. 
So where should we jump in? Probably at the top, James. And you should probably say what you do at Grounded Extracts and why you have some authority to speak on these matters. Okay, that's a good idea. So at 17 years old, I became an intravenous heroin addict. It was the result of many things in our culture and within my family. My father took Vicodin from 1994 until the day he died in 2013. He was 58 years old. He was uh, miserable. My mother left the country because of it when I was uh, a kid. And um, it just really sent my upbringing in a, in a very interesting direction. Now I'm very grateful for all of it. It's all taught me a lot. And um, everyone has to go through what they need to go through. Anyways, one big thing about my, my dad is since I was a kid, he always pointed out to me, and I don't know why, and maybe this is the reason what I'm doing now, but he always used to tell me, James, the cure for everything is in the rainforest and they've barely found 1% of it. He just would always tell me that. And so I remembered that, you know, when I got addicted to opiates and um, my brother did and um, still is. And I just started doing research and I, I don't believe everything is as chemical and as um, quantifiable as they make it. I think this is a spiritual adventure we're on. I don't think it's just you took an opiate, you're now chained to the chemical reaction. Um, I don't think that's it at all. I, I, a lot of people try drugs. A lot of people don't get addicted. Um, I wasn't one of them. And um, after seven years of IV heroin use and the lifestyle that comes with that, and doing a ton of other drugs with that. I needed a, a, a way to get out of it. So I went to a doctor, you know, someone in a white lab coat that could tell me what to do and give me a stamp of approval with an orange bottle. And I thought I was doing the right thing because I wasn't using street drugs for once. And the doctor was telling me I was doing great. And, you know, I was from the outside looking in. Um, I got a job at the state and uh, life just seemed to start finally going well. What did they give you for a heroin addiction? So what they gave me is Suboxone, which is the buprenorphine. It's all very similar to methadone in terms of what it does to you, the withdrawal symptoms. It floods your receptors with something far more powerful than a short-acting opiate, which is what I was doing heroin, with a long-acting opiate. That's what Suboxone is. Sorry, I got to ask. So are you trading one addiction for another that's maybe even worse? Yeah, for sure. 100%. That's what I did. <laughs> well, everyone was telling me, finally, you're doing the right thing. But <laughs> so it, it's, it's a conflict of interest in your head, you know, and at the same time, I noticed this hadn't happened to me previous with street drugs, but being on these pills every day um, after a year or two, I, I wasn't able to feel anything. Happiness sadness, anger. It was all so muffled. And I, I met my wife at this time and I knew right away that I loved her. I knew I wanted to marry her. And at the same time, I couldn't, I couldn't um, reach it. I couldn't reach that feeling. Like I knew it existed and, you know, I knew I loved people. I knew I was friends with people and it was just getting more numb and numb. So I, I looked it up and, you know, it was common you know, with everyone taking this type of medication, um, serotonin syndrome is really common for it. What's that? Does that mean no sleep? Is that what serotonin? No, that that's like, uh, they test it by like looking at tremors in your ankles, but it's just, it's just such a low level of serotonin in your brain that it's almost impossible to function. So basically you went, you, you finally got tired of being addicted to street drugs. You go into the doctor and they put you on suboxone. And just so people know what, what is it? Is it a pill that you're taking? 
Yeah. Okay. So Suboxone comes either in a pill or a strip, like a Listerine strip, and you put it under your tongue. It dissolves sublingually. And what it does is it basically gives you your fix for the entire day, but without the rush or without the, it will get you high. It will get you high. If you're already a street addict, it won't get you high. It'll just keep you from withdrawing. It'll keep you from, from getting sick. So that's why most people don't stop street drugs because they can't deal with the withdrawals and they can't take enough time off work to do it without losing their job. So anyways, things started to get um, uh, really numb for me. And I just started researching and what my father said always stuck to me. So I just started, um, I just started researching. And so I had heard of Iboga. My dad actually told me about it when I was younger. He had come across it because uh, we do have a, a lot of addicts in our family. But anyway, so I found someone online just through sheer gift from the creator. I, I say that um, we became friends and then um, she just knew a lot about Iboga and I wanted to know more. And then she um, introduced me to some people that knows the tribes where Iboga comes from in Central Africa. And Iboga is a tabernacle Iboga tree. They call it a rainforest shrub, but the bark of it is what is the most medicinal from it. And this is what I want to talk about in terms of coming off each of the drugs. I think Iboga can be used for all of them. Everything is case by case basis, but it is such a powerful reshuffling of your deck. What it can do if your intentions are right, because it is absolutely a spiritual reaction that happens. I've given it to some people and just watched them. It's weird. They call it clipping your ears. If you're not ready to take a boga and you don't truly want change, you're just trying to seek an experience. It'll almost not work for you or it'll be just uncomfortable. And what it does is it scrubs your receptors completely clean. If you have a big enough dose of whatever chemicals were attached to them for however long it resets you, you feel like a child again. Let's back up here a second and better define what we're talking about. So if you go online and you search Ibogaine, I-B-O-G-A-I-N-E, um, of course, you'll get Wicked Never Tell the Truthpedia, but there is valid information in most wiki things. You've just got to learn how to deal with the nonsense. But within uh, the wiki and a couple other places, I learned that this bark from this tree in Africa or a bush, uh, the, the CIA did all kinds of studies on it in the 1950s. What's more is apparently it was taken back to Europe at the near the end of the 1800s. They associate it with what they call the pygmy tribes who had supposedly discovered it. So there's the backstory. And so you're trying to get off Suboxone and you bump into Ibogaine. What's it called? What do people typically call it? I call it Iboga um, or Ibogaine. And that comes from the root word Baghaga, which means to care for. And I think that's the, the best name for it. Well, what I notice in a couple of the things, particularly on Wiki, where anything that works, they're going to tell you you can die from it. Right. There are some entries here where they're going to claim all kinds of things like heart failure, everything else. And then they're going to tell you that the pharmaceutical industry has got a hold of it and they're trying to remove the psychoactive properties. It's the same story all the time. Nature makes this thing and they come up and they just perverse you know, they, they, they create a perversion uh, based on what nature made. But so how are you taking the Iboga? 
orally. And just to touch on what you said before about people have died from it, there are several deaths recorded. Now that's several. So it's under 10. And a lot of them, um, they can't verify the setting, who the person was, or what um, amount of drug they took, or what drug they were trying to counteract with Ibogaine. So the very small numbers that they present to you, even their numbers and information is not very, it's not as risky. It's tiny. Over over decades, they list six subjects that have died, and they claim that those six were cardiopulmonary, so there was a heart issue, I think is what they're claiming. So before we get back in, and again, we're not giving medical advice here. People make their own decisions. We're covering a thing. And by the way, the cybogain is very interesting. I didn't even know about it before we met James, but maybe we should start here. Is it legal to have ibogaine? No, it's not. It's not legal. It's a schedule one as having no medical benefit or value. (laughs) Okay. Well, that, that creates a wrinkle. So that probably means there's no professionals or even holistic medical folk out there using it then I'm guessing. I'd say most holistic don't even know about it. And um, I think that's a big red flag that no one knows about this. How long has it been scheduled in the way that it is to make it illegal? Has it been like that forever? For at least 50 years, I'd say. Yeah, I noticed uh, when it came to Europe, they uh, places like France were calling it a amphetamine or a, an upper and putting it out into their public. And it could be it could be that. And I think I think it being used in that way is a thousand times better than Adderall or any type of upper. If you take it in a very, very small dose, it will act like the best cup of coffee you've ever had. The sharpest mind, it provides clarity and it you can feel the cognitive enhancement as soon as it kicks in. It's, a, it's looking at the world with true discernment, is it, in my opinion. And I believe it raises your conscience from a two to a 10. And your ego and yourself is usually probably around an eight. And, it, and that gets dialed back to like one half, I'd say. So we should, I guess we should mention. So this is looked at by the world, by the mainstream world is something like magic mushrooms, right? People use them, but you can't go to the corner store and buy them. By the way, Jason, I'm going to ask the question here. Uh, What's the, what's the actor's name that did the, the Lady Gaga? They did a remake of an old movie with Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper, Bradley Cooper. So I'm wondering now, as I'm thinking this through, if Ibogaine, he's in a movie called limitless i think it's called limitless where yeah. they've discovered this pill that just bumps i'm wondering if that's a nod to ibogaine what do you think james i think a hundred percent that is not to ibogaine and see it's so funny because within that thread of thought they'll tell you they're talking about modafinil which is a pharmaceutical it's a variation of a stimulant and it can give you focus and stuff but it is just another pill from pharmaceutical companies and they will tell you that the movie's based off of that so that's a strike and a miss. So it's definitely not associated with Ibogaine. Right. And if you okay. took one or the other, you'd be able to compare and know exactly which one you would call limitless, you know? All right. So back on track. So you are using Ibogaine. I guess I'm not going to ask you how you got it. And you're taking a powder to try to get off the drugs the doctor gave you to get off the drugs. Right. And a lot of people, including myself years ago, You're just replacing something with something else. However, if the something else doesn't make you dive into your own desires and habits and lie to your family and friends and steal from them and and um, commit crime and be someone that you're ashamed to look at in the mirror, 
I think that's the way to go. Well, there's, there's a frustrating edge to this. And I can, like, when I was in the Marine Corps, everything that happens to you, if you get hurt in any way, they're giving you Motrin with very few exceptions. Now, as soon as you get out of the Marine Corps, when I got out way back in the early 90s, if something happened like a back injury, it, they put you right on Vicodin. And I know this firsthand because I did it for almost 10 years. And then getting off became the problem. Well, during the course of getting myself off of it, which was basically mostly cold turkey, at the end, I did come into contact with Kratom. And the thing about that is it helps you so that you can actually sleep. But the thing I noticed is they had this drug. I forget what it's called. They give it to you for severe addiction to things like uh, Vicodin. And what I saw is you sneeze for like five minutes and then you're almost good. The come down isn't there. The lack of sleep isn't there. So they had things where they could get you off these drugs, but they had no intention of using them. As a matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, the big story in the news was that Rush Limbaugh was on opiates as they were getting everyone addicted to opiates and handing it out like Christmas candy. Um, the claim was that he got that drug, but you know he's rich so he can do things like this. So this is the real problem, isn't it? You recognize an addiction, you go into the medical place for help. And they get you addicted from a short-term opiate to a long-term acting opiate. So how many people in the world are on their own out there? And by the way, coming off some of these things is no joke. And a lot of people don't make it for the reasons James cited. You can't just fall out for two weeks and keep your job. And so then you're stuck in that vicious cycle again. Well, I got to do this drug or I'm going to lose my livelihood. It's a trap. But anyhow, there's my big soapbox additive. (laughs) No, you're totally right. And the long acting opiates are exactly what they say they are. They're long acting. They're getting you prescribed to something that could take seven to 14 days to withdraw. Now it's going to take a minimum of three months to a year or more of physical and mental withdrawals. And so people say, well, yeah, but Kratom is also an opiate. So a lot of things rub against your opiate mu receptors. Nothing can be proven on how the mechanism of action even works, especially for pharmaceuticals. And so it's it's convenient for pharmaceuticals to label Kratom as a designer drug and not a leaf that has been around since the beginning of time. And people will say, but it's just a crutch. So if you look at someone who has a broken leg and they have a crutch and you say, what are you doing with that? That's just a crutch. Do you expect him to be like, yeah, you're right, and just put it down and just hobble home? No, he needs that crutch to help him recover from an injury until he no longer needs it and he can put it down. And that's that's my whole um, whole idea. And that's the beautiful thing about herbs and roots. They do not have the demonic, satanic hold on you that pharmaceuticals do. And I, I challenge anyone to disagree with that. I could prove what you just said, James. In the book that I recommend all the time called Spagyrics, many people have grabbed the book because the man who wrote it is also a chemist. So it is very interesting to see alchemy or Spagyrics used and then related back to chemistry, which stands on the shoulders of Spagyrics or alchemy without admitting it. Typically, what the pharmaceuticals do, and this is most of the time, is the process of alchemy would be to break a substance apart to purify it. And then the alchemical wedding, put it back together in a more useful way than it was found. And the the cleaning up or the purifying step, what the pharmaceuticals do, and this is out of the mouth of a chemist who worked in the industry, is they do the breaking apart. (laughs) There's no purification. There's no alchemical wedding. And that underscores severely to prove what you just said is true. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's great information. I was just going based on my own experiences in taking the drugs and comparing the holds and the effects. But yeah, when you look at the the production of these things and the people making them versus people like me at home, mortar and pestle, grinding up herbs, pressing capsules, shaking tinctures, we um, pray over every single one of our bottles, every single one of our tinctures and capsules with intention. We put the absolute utmost of healing intention into our products. And it's all from the creator. Doesn't come from us. We're merely conduits, I think, as we all are. And that is the huge difference in the, in the response we've gotten from people. And these aren't people we've given I begin to. These are our regular customers that come to us that didn't know they needed help in certain areas. And they'd start trying a couple of our things and um, they, they see huge, impactful differences in, the, in their lives in terms of just decision-making and putting yourself first and not being able to, to put habits down that you truly don't want, you know, but you don't know why you keep doing it. So I, I, I wanted to put together some blends that helped me after I began. And I just kept researching and researching and just started making my own things. And I, I made one blend called Best Earth. And that helped me personally quit smoking cigarettes. And it's been a couple, a few years now since I quit. So, and, and I didn't even have to do anything other than take the capsules of the crushed herbs and roots. And then I just slowly started smoking less and I just didn't want them anymore. Wow. That's, that's one of the toughest, you know, the addictions that are provided on every street corner tend to be some of the most difficult addictions, but I just found a, 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 about the Ibogaine, the legal status, check this out. In Australia, Ibogaine is prescription only. In Canada, prescription only. New Zealand, wow. prescription only. In the United Kingdom, class A prohibited. In the United States, Schedule 1 prohibited. But here's the kicker. In this list, the last place listed is the United Nations, the UN. And that is currently unscheduled. So what? No way. It it goes to show where we are. You know, why would the UN be in a list? Nations make their own rules, don't they? Or that's the way it used to be. None of it makes sense. None of it makes sense. You can debate about all this stuff all day long because all of the information we've been given for the most part is either arbitrary or doesn't exist. The the authority they claim to have when they're scheduling these quote unquote drugs, when they're literally growing out of the ground while they're approving other things. Outlawing nature. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So obviously we're not going to talk about where you get it from, but what would you say the effectiveness of Ibogaine is? Is it like half the time, three quarters of the time, all the time? It's 100% case by case basis that for me, hundred percent of the time, if your intention is there, and this is the biggest thing about Ibogaine, if your intention is there, it will meet you there. And if you want truly good for your life, if you want to truly change and you're not just seeking an experience or a high, then it, it can change your life. It can absolutely open your eyes to what you need to do. And the biggest thing about that, understanding that is that's the nor ibogaine. That's nor ibogaine is what ibogaine turns into into after you ingest it in your bloodstream. And it's got a very long half-life, but that half-life does wear off. Um, It can wear off anywhere from days to weeks. And um, as it wears off, you know, maybe old habits will come back or poles will come back. And that's why aftercare 
is extremely important when you come off drugs, whether you used Ibogaine or not. Aftercare is the most important thing. There is no magic bullet. There is no one and done. You're free, but you can earn it. You can earn it. And that Ibogaine can free you, but you're not going to be on Ibogaine your whole life. So you do need to start paving over those old neural pathways and spend as much time away from old habits, old mind thoughts, old people, old places, old things, and really do the aftercare so you can focus on building up a positive life and new um, neural pathways that are more in line with what you actually need rather than what you temporarily want. You know, almost any kind of addiction treatment center says exactly what you just said. One of the steps is going to be you've got to change your playground after the fact. Because if you keep going to the place where you were scoring drugs or whatever you were doing or hanging out in the crowd that's still doing it, the odds of you successfully getting off a drug plummet. And I think that's even a part of AA for the alcohol addiction. But the thing is, is we know these things work or they wouldn't be around. I know tons of people who've quit alcohol using simply AA. I know many other people who have gotten off hard drugs and the other people they hung around with. I know many people who have died because they never did get off the hard drugs, but this current use of opiates and how they just, I don't know, was it 20, 30 years? They just handed out Vicodin endlessly. And then all of a sudden they put the brakes on and what happened there. I was going to ask about the drug Suboxone that they put you on. If Suboxone is long lasting, don't like, I noticed a lot of people that are addicted when they come off the thing they're trying to get on and the thing they're given, they overuse it, trying to get back to the feeling of what they're trying to come off. Uh, Is that going on with, uh, with the Suboxone? With Suboxone? Yeah, for sure. Suboxone is very weird. They, they don't even know how it works. The people that make it, they don't even know the mechanism of action, but they know it's an agonist slash antagonist. So it's, it's a contradiction in itself. And I think it's, it's one of the worst drugs that's been put on the market. It absolutely destroyed my body. Um, I, in the beginning, I was injecting it because I, I was so addicted to, and, you know, injecting heroin and, uh, you know, after a while, the only reason I stopped doing that is because I ran out of veins. It all can be abused, you know, and, and things like that. Absolutely. And, um, they can kill you for sure. They've killed a lot more people than what Ibogaine has. That's for sure. So people also get nervous about trying something like this because of the risks. Let let me jump in here. People make their own decisions and we're not going to tell you where to get an illegal thing while we're on the air, but we will cover what is known about it. So let's go back to you. You were addicted to a drug. You were given a drug called Suboxone and that addicted you that got you off the street drug, but then it got addicted to the pharmaceutical. From what I understand of opiates, this is the most illogical thing. You have this short-term high that is then replaced with a long-term high, which lets you know to get off it is going to be a nightmare. So it's not It's not doing anything. It's just changing an addiction to forcing a longer period of time to break the addiction. So you chose to use Ibogaine. So tell us, what did you do? You know, it's illegal. So we're not going to inform people that you can go get it at the street corner. But the point is it was a powder and it's made from the bark of a tree. So how did you ingest it? Okay. So I ingested it orally. Some of it I put under my tongue, other amounts I I put in a capsule and I swallowed it. And this was 48 hours after my last dose of Suboxone. And the reason being that you'll go into precipitated withdrawal syndromes, which you'll feel like you're absolutely dying. Right. And you just get thrown into the, the peak intensity withdrawal symptom. 
So you were going through withdrawal when you tried the Ibogaine? I was. I was in heavy withdrawal and I had weaned down. This is also very important for Suboxone and Methadone. I weaned down to 150th of what I was prescribed. Wow. Yeah. And I was taking it every other day. And I did that for about two months before I did Ibogaine. And that's that's the whole thing for long-acting opiates. It's not, Ibogaine won't help you if you're not committed in terms of weaning down for a couple months before and then stopping whatever drug you're doing 48 hours before. It, it needs to, to come in and attack when everything is like asleep and at bay. So how did, how did you actually get there? Was there a reason? Did you, cho- so it sounds like you chose to come off the Suboxone. You 100%. Had, yeah. You stepped down, but the addiction's still coming or the, uh, the come down literally does make you wish you were dead. A lot of people. So you hit that, you're coming down, you're coming off it. You're coming through withdrawals, which is hell on earth. And then you take the Ibogaine. Uh, how quickly did you start to feel half human? Oh man, I don't even know. That's a weird question for Ibogaine because you feel completely weird and, and spiritual transformation. But in terms of withdrawal symptoms, I would say it, it took a uh, half an hour before I stopped sweating. In the listings I see, they try to, the words I'm reading about ibogaine makes me think of magic mushrooms. Is it psychoactive in that way, psychedelic? So it can be. So the dose you would have to take for something like any of the drugs we listed, stimulants, short-acting, long-acting, benzos, SSRIs, alcohol, if you want ibogaine to knock that out of your brain and body in terms of scrubbing your receptors clean, you have to take a good size dosage. It will be hallucinogenic in terms, it, not in the same way, mushrooms and LSD, you know, things start breathing and people turn into different things. But this is more, you have a projection almost coming out from your third eye and you can see everything that's going on in the room around you, but there's something else going on in your own head that you are 100% present for. And, and all of a sudden, what happened with me and many other people is that you have epiphanies and it's all about ego death in the beginning. And it wants you to surrender your ways. What got you to the situation you're in? It's by your desires, you know, and then it starts going down pathways of memories with like a screen. This I even think they took the movie screen from things like Iboga, uh, the idea of it anyways, literally comes down and starts flipping through all of your memories that you didn't even remember you had. And you get to revisit subconsciously hidden, suppressed, traumatizing, and sometimes not traumatizing, but informational memories. And you get to do it with an emotional detachment. So it's not overwhelming that you're seeing these people you thought died at, or when you did this to this person and it hurt you, it's, it's not overwhelming, but it's instructive and, it, and it's a teacher plan. It absolutely brings you through different scenarios in your life and points out what you should have done, shouldn't have done, what you could have done differently, and um, where to go forward. And that's why aftercare is so important, because if you can hang on to that for long enough to implement it in your life, amazing things can happen if your intention is there. You know, I've, I've heard very similar things from a drug that I've never done, uh, which is a bit mystifying considering what period of time and where I grew up, but ayahuasca, 
Um, I've never done it. We've covered it on the show a time or two, but we have heard this kind of teacher drug narrative over and over and over uh, where people are forced to face uh, their demons, I guess we could call it, that have happened and make a choice. We've heard this a number of times. Yeah, it's all about choice. Like everything in this life, it's all up to you. There's a lot of influencing factors and energies. But at the end of the day, it is your decision. It is your in your hands. It's about disciplined personal choice and um, strength, especially in the face of temptation. Well, our culture is built on, oh, well, I want to be happy. Well, what's good for you? You know, what's good for me? Desires, uh, commercial here, commercial there, look over here. It's all material. It's all vain. And Iboga helps everything like that fall away and just get stripped away by the wayside. And you just see your family, what you love, what you need to do for them and how to accomplish it. And that's what it did for me, at least. I don't want to also give people expectations. It's very different for every single person. But I have heard a lot of similar experiences from a lot of people. And I think that's really encouraging, especially for drug addicts. Let's get down to brass tacks. You know, everybody knows how most people are aware of how horrible breaking an addiction can be. The withdrawal for some people, you know, I, I used I used to know a lot of people that had gotten into heroin and things like that. And then I heard someone say once, it was associated with a drug rehab program, that alcohol is a more dangerous come down than heroin. And I started hearing this. I thought it was interesting. So let's ask about the game. Are you getting horrible effects? Are you throwing up? Are you losing your mind? Are you having diarrhea for a week and a half? Is there any of that associated with this? So throwing up, purging is definitely a part of it. Um, it was for me, not as much as other people. I threw up once or twice when I did it, but um, I was a sitter for one of my friends because you want someone, if they're going to, if someone's going to do it, they will want someone else in the room with them, just observing them, not really interacting, but just, you know, to make sure everything's okay if they need anything. So he was an alcoholic. And I, I gave him the proper dose. I was there with him and everything. The proper dose information I gave him. How did you arrive at that? How were you able to know what to do and how to do it? Is this popularly used underground more than we think in this country? I would hope so. I hope that's the case. So how did you know what the dosage was? So I did a lot of reading. Um, I did a lot of researching, but it's all, it's mostly based off my personal experience that I had interacting with uh, my friend who, who lives in East Africa, who uh, has a lot of good information. And she knows my story exactly in my, um, my situation, the exact amount of milligrams of what drugs I was on and everything. So we had a couple months of going through my information. So I knew what was what. And then I also have taken Ibogaine numerous times after the first dose. So I had a lot of experimentation experience with different doses. Wait a minute though. So are you implying that you took it once to break an addiction and then ended up going back because you wanted to? Is, yes. this, is this a thing where you use it once? And if you've done the spiritual work and decided to change your life, is this supposed to be you do this and then you're in a new place to go forward? Or do you do it over and over and over? It's, I mean, it's up to most people. Most people never do it more than once. Most people don't want to do it more than once. It's very confrontational. What leads me to do it is I see where I can work on myself. And whenever I can find a new area to work on myself, I know that that can kickstart it. I've never taken a dose the size of the first one. I haven't, I don't need anything like that. 
except for the first time because I haven't touched pharmaceuticals or drugs ever since. How long has that been? That is since 2018. 2018. There's another interesting thing I'm looking at here is the the taxonomy name is Tabermanth Iboga. Um, I don't think I recall, and I would need to do work, but you always learn something because these names have a meaning. Taber shares the prefix of tabernacle. And again, I would have to do the research. I think that might come back to a tent. I'm not sure, but it's a little bit different. So there's, I think there's clearly something interesting in the tax taxonomy name, uh, Tabernanth Iboga. But anyhow, pulling back, Jason, are, is there anything that we should ask that we haven't? Well, how long does a session last for and how often do people do it more than once? Again, that's case by case. For me, it lasted 10 days, but I was taking it like every day for 10 days. Most people don't do that. I wanted to make sure all that garbage was kicked out of my system for good. So um, I went as hard as I could. I actually don't recommend that for anyone. It, It works for me, though. Is it a nightmare memory or something else? I have more clear memories from my first Ibogaine trip than I do of yesterday in real life. I, I, um, it doesn't happen for everyone, but a different reality materialized in front of me at a certain point when I was taking Ibogaine. And I spent what I thought were weeks to months in different decades um, throughout the 1900s, talking to so many different people about so many different things, um, learning about all different types of substances specifically. It was teaching me about the dangers of substances and, and just showing me examples like a storybook of different people's lives and how which drug affected them in which way. And I was able to see it like a movie and I got to play a ton of different characters and roles. And it was just such a life-changing experience when I came out of it, I was genuinely confused on what was real and what wasn't. And that might scare some people, but that's why you have a sitter to tell you you're not flying planes to deliver tobacco to California in the 1950s. You're just, you're right here. And, uh, and so, but it's just fascinating. I, I just, I, I can't believe what I experienced. The first thing that I experienced in terms of hallucination was when I, when a new reality kind of materialized in front of me. And I don't know what this means. I'm just shooting the shit, just bringing this up. I still haven't been able to figure it out, but there were like four guys like waiting for me almost. And they were on a boardwalk. Um, This was clearly the early 1900s, by the way, it looked almost like Atlantic city or something. And uh, they were on the boardwalk. And they were all looking in my direction and I had appeared in front of them and three of them look horrified. Three of them absolutely like they just saw me appear and it freaked them out. But the one guy in the middle looked so welcoming and happy and almost anticipated seeing me. And he, and, and this is what he said to me, he put his arm around me and he said, you were born in the slit of a lid of an inkling of time. And I don't know what that means, but uh, that's what he said to me. And then I, I went, I started working with these guys like it was a real life. You know, we were we were shipping alcohol and tobacco and just doing all these crazy things. So I don't think any drug can do that to you. I don't. And it was more tangible and real than anything I've ever experienced. So, I mean, it's a 100 percent spiritual and case by case basis for each person. And I think that can happen even without Ibogaine. If your intentions are right, if your faith is high and your intentions are sound and good and true, then the world is your oyster. You know, it can be. I think I would, I think Jason, I would add what I added when we did the ayahuasca episodes, 
which I do. I've never done it and I've never done it for a reason, um, which is my own, but uh, there's an interesting dichotomy going on here with the ayahuasca. I have always said, don't think you're going to have some spiritual epiphany unless you have a real spiritual master to guide you in and prepare you. What I have seen so much of in Southern California is people are doing this to get high and then they act like they're spiritually using it when really they're just getting high. And so this is one of the drugs I've chose not to do. But the thing about ayahuasca is there's so many people that use it now and have been to South America and other places to learn how to try to be a good spiritual guide into this. And so that brings us around to Ibogaine. Um, I had never even heard of it. So I would say a similar thing, like I said about ayahuasca, be careful. Uh, Are there people around who can guide you into this and make sure you're doing it correctly? That's my feeling. What's your feeling, Jason? Right. I think you absolutely would want to have some sort of guidance. This thing sounds super intense, almost like you're on some sort of Star Trek holodeck situation where you're living out almost an entirely other life with experiences, emotions, feelings, all that sort of thing. So, yeah. Yes. You know, with psychoactive substances, and that was a big deal in Southern California in my lifetime, not just LSD, but um, mushrooms and other things that people look to go on a trip. So they said, what I noticed is some of the nicest people you will ever meet in your life have a nightmare of a time once they've done it. And on the flip side, I've seen people that are not that nice use it and have the exact opposite experience. But what I do know is, I don't think it's for everybody and just doing it because you can, I think that's a mistake. And that brings us back around how much, you know, I asked it earlier in in this country, how much do you feel like Ibogaine is being used by the subculture? If that's even the right word. I don't know. It's being slept on. It's uh, I don't know. Maybe 1% is that that's probably generous. How much information do you feel like you were able to find? Clearly you, you made a connection somewhere and clearly you went into this with some idea of how to do it. There's so much information um, online. Um, a lot of it is just people sharing stories, um, but there's been so many good books written about I began in a boga. Now you're talking my language. That's, yeah. that's a great thing. So books yeah. have been written on this. A lot of them. Yeah. A new one just came out, which is really good. It's called The Root of All Healing. And that is that book's about a boga and it's really great. And, and I talk about a lot of things happened in my uh, Iboga dreams, I call them, that I don't feel the need to bring up to people or talk about because I haven't seen a good interpretation or reason or shared experience from someone else that I've read. But once I do, then I, then I more apt to talking about it. Have you ever done ayahuasca or magic mushrooms, so-called magic mushrooms? And if you have, is there any similarity? I've done those. I don't think Ibogaine has any similarity with anything. I- I've heard um, uh, and you're, uh, the show you did that you had someone on talking about ayahuasca. And he said that ayahuasca was the female and that Ibogaine is the male counterpart. And I thought that was a good way to describe it. And um, oh, wow. And the reason being is that Ibogaine is a very confrontational thing. It's a very confrontational in terms of, hey, look, you did this wrong. You need to fix it. Like, or you need to adjust how you go forward in the future. Not many psychedelics make a priority of that. You know, you can have those moments and epiphanies and realization, but it's it's something else gets in the driver's seat with Ibogaine. And it really, really guides you. It genuinely guides you without thoughts that 
lingering thoughts or things you don't want to think about. You don't even have a choice. Your intention is not there after you take it. You're just on a ride. So I don't think anyone should, would take it just to take it unless they didn't know at all what it was. And then they'd probably never take it again. Well, you opened up by reminding me of that past episode. You've made me consider that maybe the people that are ayahuasca practitioners and have been trained must know something about this. To put the gender uh, tag on it means that you know it at a pretty deep level to be able to make a statement. And I'd forgotten all about that. So is it possible that some of the, I don't know, what are we going to call them? The trained practitioners of ayahuasca have a good idea of Ibogaine? Yeah, I, I would I would say so. And and there's probably more of them that do ayahuasca because I'd say that it would be I would compare that to more of an of a typical psychedelic experience. It's not typical. That's case by case basis too. But in terms of what you get out of it, it can just be a really pleasant, good experience. Every time though with Ibogaine, it it will be a we need to reprioritize your life type situation. Well, there's a big difference between going out to party and get high and trying to spiritually achieve something. And at least within the ayahuasca community, um, we met and I have been aware of people who have truly, their intent is that they want to use it to spiritually improve and they've gone down, they've been trained. And so if they do know something about Ibogaine, that's to me, that's a big step up. It makes me less nervous Mm. because a lot of people make bad decisions when they're desperate. And that's a little bit nerve wracking when we talk about things like this, because addiction is no joke. It ruins your life. And then to get free of it is its own nightmare. But do you feel like the Ibogaine, the powder that you were using, is it totally untouched? Is it just dried bark, then crushed down? Well, before we get into that, we're at the top of the hour here. On top of that, I'd like to add in for hour two, what specific culture or cultures this comes from and how it might be used on top of that. Okay, so we're going to do the hour break. Let's 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 open up with the idea Jason just expressed. And also, I'm interested to know, is this just harvested from nature, dried and crushed? But anyhow, that does bring us to the top of the hour for episode 379. Uh, James, please give your website information again. It's www.groundedextracts.com. Also, uh, James' significant other, uh, we were looking at because she is also interested in natural births and uh, someone's taught me how to say it and I've already forgot. Is it midwifery? I keep messing that up. I'm, I'm sorry to all you folks out there if I mess that up, but I think people know what I mean. Anyhow, there's our one of 379 covering a plant uh, from Africa, as far as I understand, called Ibogaine. It's very interesting to me. And at the end of the conversation, I was a little more relieved being reminded that one of the ayahuasca practitioners knew enough about it to give it a gender. Now it starts to feel like me. There's some expertise out there in the world of people who might know how to administer that. And the reason I say that is because people in desperate straits do desperate things. And that is not a, that's rolling the dice from my point of view. Anyhow, join us for for hour two at pro777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. The second hour is for members. And I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.
belief is the enemy of knowing.